With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. Topically yours on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. 
I'm your host, Deirdre Schuler, and my guest today is drummer, author, and singer Sheila E. Sheila was born in Oakland, California, and made her recording debut with jazz bassist Alfonso Johnson on Yesterday's Dream in 1976. Born into the Escovita family of musicians, by early 20s, she had already played with the likes of George Duke, Lionel Richie, Marvin Gaye, Herbie Hancock, and Diana Ross. In 77, she joined the George Duke Band, appearing on several of Duke's albums, including Don't Let Go, Follow the Rainbow, Masters of the Game, and A Brazilian Love Affair. In 83, she joined Marvin Gaye's Midnight Love Tour as one of his percussionists. Shirley began a successful solo career, starting with her critically acclaimed debut album, which included the career-defining song, The Glamorous Life. She became a mainstream solo artist in 85, following the success of the singles The Bell of St. Mark, Sister Fate, and A Love Bazaar, with the last becoming her signature song. And you know, she's commonly referred to as the Queen of Percussion. Sheila E. will be setting fire to the Lehman Center for the Performing Arts stage in the Bronx on Saturday, October 13th, when she joins R&B singer Denise Williams and the trio of For a Night to Remember. For tickets to the one-night Lehman Center for the Performing Arts and Goya Foods' presentation of legendary soul pop and R&B acts, call the Lehman Center box office at 718-960-8833 or go online at www.lehmancenter.org. And for those that buy VIP tickets, there will be a 6.30 p.m. reception and the tickets give you the best seats in the house. Well, Sheila, Sheila, I think it's Escovedo. Is that correct? Escovedo. Escovedo is better known mm-hmm, as Sheila. That's e. fine. So, so let us welcome her to the show. Welcome, Sheila. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for that awesome introduction. Wow, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I did do all that. I forget, but that's. <laughs> beautiful thank you very much you're welcome people don't know what you've done so it helps to start the intro by saying this is what this great lady has done so i i wanted to mention though you started off you were born into a musical family um which encompasses your father peter escovedo and your brothers and uncles and even a godfather tito fuente Uh, tell me about your family's musical background um, I grew up listening to my dad playing. He started as a musician and an, and an artist, like drawing, painting, uh, when he was younger. Uh, his first instrument around 15 was saxophone, and he tells the story mm. that he started playing saxophone because uh, he heard about all the great saxophone players always got the beautiful women. So he said that that was <laughs> his instrument he liked to play. However, he ended up... Uh, with another local group, they needed a percussion player, and he loved also percussion, so he ended up playing percussion. And So I watched him throughout the years, and, and when I was very young, growing up, watching him play every single day. And uh, what they what he would do was, um, back then, not a lot of television, but everything was uh, uh, buying your vinyl records. So he would have, a, he has an extensive vinyl collection, and he would practice to the vinyl records every single day. Every day, no matter what, um, and then not only that, that sometimes he would 
<laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and he would teach, you know, sometimes he would have uh, people come in and they would have jam sessions. Uh, but periodically his band would be in the middle of the living room and they would rehearse um, and they would have parties on the weekend. So there was constantly music. And also growing up in the Bay Area, you know, listening to music. And then my uncles and some of my cousins all played. Um, and it was either between percussion or guitars. And that's basically, it's like a, a long lineage of percussion players. Well, is your mother also into music or is she musical? She is, actually. Um, even though I really wanted to, uh, I dove into being an athlete and, and very, uh, my mom is very athletic, so I loved that part of who she was or oh, is, and she still is, yeah. Um, but she does musically play a little bit. She learned how to read and write uh, music and play piano, and her and her sisters uh, back in that day, vaudeville was, uh, you know, they loved looking at vaudeville, and they learned how to tap dance and sing mm. a little bit. Um, and she does play a little bit of, of percussion, but that wasn't her thing of choice, even though she loved doing it, and she still does. She just really wanted to be an athlete. Well, you mentioned that uh, your home was filled with music and people came by. Um, so you must have met some well-known artists in your youth. And for example, uh, wasn't Lionel Richie one of the family's good friends? Yeah, but that was later in my years. Earlier in my years, it artists like Mongo Santa Maria, Tito mm. Puente, um, wow. Ray Barreto, uh, some of the funny all-stars, Lou Rawls, yeah, uh, the Whispers, you know, and there are people that coming over when I was like in elementary school, so. <laughs> wow. What a wonderful start. And speaking of that, how did you get started professionally? Uh, professionally, uh, a, a local group called Grito uh, heard about me be, and which was weird because I wasn't really playing, but they said, hey, I heard you play drums. Uh, we'd like for you to audition for our band. At that time, my dad was playing with Santana. So uh, this mm. local group played a knockoff of the Santana songs. So I had never really played drums. Like, I, you know, again, when my dad's band would practice, I'd jump on the drums for a minute or the percussion and play for a second and then leave. But I'd always love watching the band rehearse. I went to my cousin um, and asked him if I could use his drums because I didn't have a drum set. He had been playing for a year. I had never played before, and I didn't have a drum set. And I said, if, if you don't mind, could you uh, at least show me how to set it up and break it down so I look like I know what I'm doing since I'm going <laughs> to audition? And he, he was kind of angry at me. It was funny then, but um, it uh he said, I can't believe that you're going to an audition. I've been playing, and, and you don't even play, and you get to go to audition. I said, I know. So I go, and I set up the drums, and I audition. I played, you know. And it was no to me, it was no big deal. It's like, of course I can play. It, it, was, it wasn't – I didn't even get it a second thought. It, was, it wasn't a big deal to me. I just knew that I could just go play. So I did, and I got the gig. So I started playing with that band, but not even two months into uh, playing with the band, which was great. Um, another drummer came into town and he had a PA system and we, the band talked about it and said, Hey, if we get this drummer to come in, you know, we would be self-contained with our own sound system and things like that. So 
Sheila, why don't you uh, change over to percussion? And I said, not, that's fine, not a big deal. So I started really playing percussion then, and the other percussionist uh, ended up being my boyfriend. And so there were two percussion players, and then we ended up having a third percussion player. So it was kind of like the vibe of the Santana sound by having three percussion players and a drummer. And from then on, it's just like I, I guess all of the years of listening to my dad play, I started all of a sudden playing all these different rhythms and things that would just come out of me naturally. And, and my boyfriend would say back then, "What? wait a minute, I didn't, we've never played this before. I said, I know, I don't even know. You know, I guess it's just from listening to my dad. And, and throughout months of playing with that band, I noticed that musically I started to rise above what I thought was great. I wanted to be greater. And I said, I, I need a change and I want to go play with someone else. So uh, I left the group, and then at 15, I joined my dad's band, who then they were signed to Clive Davis CBS Records, and they were touring, opening for Temptations and Stevie Wonder and Earth, Wind & Fire. So um, that was my jump from jump from the local band into my dad's band at 15, went out on tour, and never looked back. Well, weren't you considered a child prodigy? Yes. And I guess that's why you you something in you already knew how to how to play and how to create. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, listening to music in my mom's womb, possibly <laughs> all those years, uh, listening to my dad practice every day, um, it was meant for me to play. Well, let me. You, you got critical attention with your song uh, "The Glamorous Life." Did Did you write that song? I did. I co-wrote it with with Prince. I co-wrote it with him. Yeah. Well, I have that on 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 file. Do you mind if I play it for the audience? No, please do. Okay, here we go. The glamorous life. Yeah. 
Now that song, Glamorous Life, brought you to a more public acclaim. Didn't you win uh, an MT three MTV award nominations for best female video and best new artist and best choreography? And you also received two Grammy Award nominations for Best New Artist and Best Pop Vocal Performance by a Female. Was that exciting? Was that the most exciting moment up until that date for you? Um, I mean, every time something happens for me, I mean, it, it's exciting. Um, you know, I, I worked really hard. I mean, people seem to think that it just happened overnight, which it didn't. Um, the many years of playing and recording with other artists up until that point, I was known in the recording industry and playing on uh, other people's records and supporting them and then going out on tour, like you said, with Marvin Gaye and Lionel Richie. Um, the biggest tour I had been on thus far before Glamorous Life was Lionel Richie, and I had never experienced anything like that, and I just thought, wow that's where I want to be in that place where, you know, people are singing your songs and, you know, you get to go on tour in a private plane. And, you know, I was already traveling all over the world. I had been doing so, you know, at 17 uh, or 15, sorry. Um, but when Glamorous Life came out, I, I, um, before it came out, I wanted to break the record in Europe first. And knowing that I was going to do that, I toured Europe for two months before the record came out so that I could break it in Europe and then once we did that, it would come over into the United States, and then we could tour in the United States. So I went out two months. We did eight to ten hours of press almost every single day. Uh, we didn't go on shows until sometimes 10 or 11 at night, uh, sometimes 1 in the morning. We'd play till 3. We'd get on a plane at 6 in the mm -hmm. morning. And it was really brutal uh, during the end of that two months before we even started the tour in the States, some of the band members wanted to quit because it was too hard for them. And I just said, look, you know, we're, we're a team. We've got to do this together. You know, it's not just about me. It's about all of us. Um, and so we came back to the States and we started touring the States for a couple of months, uh, playing everywhere, playing New York, um, all kind of places. And then I went into rehearsal to start rehearsing in Minneapolis with Prince for the Purple Rain tour. All that happened before we even went out on that tour. So we worked really hard, and um, it took all of that to get to that point. And once we did, you know, to come back to the States and hear the song and then go out on tour and watch people sing a song that, that uh, and some of the music that, you know, you've written uh, and perform, and, and you see people mimicking you or wanting to be like you or dress like you it was it was pretty amazing you know um I, I had never experienced that part of it and it was truly truly exciting well I read the night that you met Prince he was with a bassist named Andrew Simon I believe or Simone no uh oh yeah no it was his uh it was his bass player Andre Simone but the first time I saw him was at a uh, Al Jarreau concert in the Bay Area but still in the Bay Area in Oakland I did see the first time I met him he was performing at Circle Star Theater and um, but those it was that was he was part of his band well uh, it, I read that he approached you and told you that he and, and, and uh, Andre, Andre were taking bets that 
one of them would be the first to be your husband. Is that true? Yes. Yes, it was. Yep. <laughs> As a joke. No, it wasn't a joke. He was serious. No, he um, he first asked me how much. He's first. The first thing Prince said was, "I've been. I went to introduce myself, and he said, I already know who you are, Sheila Escobedo. I've been following your career because no one knew Prince at the beginning, and um, you know, I have been waiting to meet him. And and um, he said, No, I know you play drums. I saw you on rock co- uh, rock concert and um, Don Kirshner's and then a midnight special with George Duke, and I, he he knew everything about me, and um, wow. and he asked me how much I how much I made with with George Duke, and then he said I probably oh I can't afford you, and I said well you know things change, don't worry about it. I mean if you want me to well let's play together, not a big deal. And then uh, then he said well Andre and I are fighting about which one is going to marry you, and uh, <laughs> that was like the third or fourth thing he said. Well. Now, was it Purple Rain that actually uh, brought him to, to fame, to great acclaim? Um, no, I mean, the, some of the previous records uh, before then, he was really getting big and uh, from Controversy and all the other songs in that, that album. I mean, he was already really big. Um, but because he did the album, uh, sorry, the, the movie Purple Rain, that was the beginning of a stardom he had never seen before, which was more like the world. Now, he was also your mentor and, and played a special role in your life. So his death must have deeply affected you. Oh, of course. I mean, we've been together since 1977, I think. Um, we became friends up until his death. Um yeah, so it was it was very hard because we spent majority of our lives together. Wow. Well, what did you add to to the recording of Purple Rain? Um, did you provide the vocals or or what? No, I didn't provide anything to Purple Rain. Um, I was doing my record, and when Purple Rain came out, um, that was part of the song and part of the music for the movie. So I didn't do anything on that. Okay. I want to mention that Denise Williams, who who you're going to be um, performing with at Lehman Center for the Performing Arts, as well as Tony, 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 uh, on Saturday, October uh, 13th. She initiated a program to introduce school children to music and musical instruments called uh, Kids of Promise. But you also co-founded with Lynn Mabry the Little Angel Bunny Foundation. Can you tell me about that endeavor? Uh, yes, and actually we changed the name so it is called. It was called Elevate Hope, and now we've changed to Elevate Oakland because we're elevating different cities. So we went back to the Bay Area, um, and and we we merged with another foundation as well. So we have Jason Hoffman uh, and uh, Yoshi, and then of course Lynn Mabry. And what we're doing, the need was so great for our kids in the Bay Area. What we do is we use artists there in uh, the Bay Area. If they have a couple of weeks during um, school time, uh, this is not an after-school program. It's during their classes. We use local artists. We pay them uh, a stipend to go in and teach classes and help assist Mm. the teacher. Um, But we help 
and we help educate them with music and the arts, um, which has been great because the, the need is great, and a lot of the programs, especially for the kids, uh, the, these programs musically and, and the arts have been taken out of the uh, the schools because of budget cuts. So that's what we've been doing, and, and it's been working really well. Like we, We're in three, four different schools and there's you know there's a waiting list for us to go in some of the other schools but it's just raising the money so that we can have the other uh be a part of the other schools as well and and also assisting with artists and we call them artists and residents so that they can do a, a residency at the uh, school um i also want to mention that you released an album called sex symbol in 91 and then went on a Japanese tour. But did you get shortly after that uh, ill with a collapsed lung? Uh, it happened right. It happened right before. It happened in ninety, I think, or ninety one. Yeah, I was uh, out on tour, but uh, I couldn't uh, tour for that album, Sex Symbol, because my uh, my back went out. That was the first thing. My back went out, and I couldn't walk. I was partially paralyzed for two weeks, and it took about four months and like five doctors to get me to walk around the block. And that was due to playing in heels uh, for hours and hours and hours every day for like four to six years and just nonstop playing. Um, It shortened my calf muscle and then messed up my lower back. So I had to learn how to walk all over again. And um, it, it it was trying, but then at the same time, my lung collapsed, but that was part of getting uh, acupuncture and doing cupping. And the the doctor who had done it punctured a small hole in my left lung at the top, uh, which caused a collapsed lung. And my my lung was 80% collapsed. And I want to say that was even before a sex symbol came out. I don't even remember. It was all a blur because it all happened like at the same time. Uh, So yeah, I I had to take like a year off and just get myself together. Was that very scary for you or really a test of faith, especially when you're semi-paralyzed? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, it took that devastation to really get me back to realizing that I wasn't in control of my life, you know, because I thought that I was, and you're not. You know, God is, he, you know, if you allow him and follow his footsteps and you allow yourself to get out of the way, you know, and and understand what your purpose is, then things change. Um, and that was an eye-opening moment. And uh, I realized that, you know, I had to change my life and getting more rest and, and taking time to stop. You know, I thought I had to always go, go, go. Uh, I changed my life and how I was treating people, um, not respecting them in the way that they should be. Um, because you get to that place where you're so famous and then you just order people around instead of, you know, being a mentor and realizing that you affect people by everything that you say and your actions. Um, And so I just, I asked God at that point, I just said, look, if you get me through this, these two things, because I I thought I was going to die basically, not just because of the collapsed lung um, and my back going out, I was on a crutch. I couldn't a cane. I couldn't walk. I didn't. I stayed in the house. I was bedridden for all, over a month. I didn't even know what that was like. And um, when I finally walked outside, I just cried for like 20 minutes because I didn't realize how much life 
God had given me for free without having to pay for anything and looking up at the sky, realizing how blue the sky really was and how beautiful the trees were and the leaves and the colors and everything was so bright and brilliant. And I just said, you know, I'll talk about you for the rest of my life. You helped me get through this because I was at the point of barely eating and I was 85 pounds because mentally I had shut down. Yeah. So it was a, a very scary moment. I didn't I didn't want to go to the hospital. I just said, if I die, and this is the first time I'd ever said anything like that, and if I die, I want to die at home, and I want my family to know how sick I was. Well, let's change that subject because you went on to uh, work with Ringo Starr. I know he has a great sense of humor. Is that true? I know you did some stints with him and Ringo Starr and his all-star band. Oh, yeah, I did three tours with him, actually, and um, amazing man, an incredible drummer. Um, I had so much fun with him. I wish, you know, at the time, um, you know, not to invade his privacy, but there's stories that he's told us, you know, I, he could have shared with other people, but just to hear the stories about the Beatles, you know, and things that had happened to them during the tours, and it was just amazing to hear what they went through as a group, you know, I know that they changed my life when I first heard them and heard them on Ed Sullivan's show and, and people who mm-hmm. don't know that show can look it up, but man, it was crazy. Like I screamed and yelled like everyone else and just go, you know, looking at them thinking, wow, they're incredible. And their music sounded different. And I loved their vibe and how they looked. They had everything about it. And, you know, the songs that they wrote um, all those years, I mean, there, there are songs that are just timeless, like you, you know, which was why I wanted to do a couple of the songs on, on the iconic, iconic record and one that you played at the beginning of the show, Blackbird. I mean, Blackbird is a song that's so intense. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. I'd love for people to go online and look it up and find out what Blackbird, what those lyrics really mean. And it's pretty deep, you know, what this story mm. tells. Um, and uh, it's pretty intense, you know. Um, and and beautifully written, and uh, you know, and then I did come together and, and had Ringo and I both played drums on it, but I kept his drums and took my drums off because of course I'm, how could you, you know, I I didn't even need to play. He was amazing, one take. So, um, it's just beautiful to be able to play that kind of music and that music change people's lives and and uh, you know with Ringo to be able to be a part of that I never thought in a million years like I'd be able to play with him, let alone or meet him, let alone play with him. So it was a, it was a true blessing. Well, speaking of that, you're an author as well. Tell me about uh, are you an author of Beat of My Own Drum? Yes, that's a, a, a biography. Well, not a biography, but I mean a memoir that I I wrote um, uh, maybe four years ago or so, maybe longer than that. Um, but yeah, it was something that I wanted to do for a very long time and I'm actually working on the next book now. Um, but it tells, you know, it tells the truth. I'm very transparent about who I am and what I've gone through as a woman in the industry, uh, things that have happened to me when I was young, um, people I've met along the way and my family and my faith. Um, yeah, everything is in that book. Sounds interesting. I encourage people to go and, and, and buy it. Yes, wait for absolutely. your upcoming one. 
Yes. Um, also, before we go, I want to mention that you do you still have the recording label Stiletto Flats Music? I do. Okay. So you you have you what have you produced under the label? Um, I put out the last record. Well, the last three. No, sorry, I take it back. There's been four or five records I've done. Uh, the the E family and then Pete Escovito, my dad, his record. Um, iconic and um, uh, icon and uh, Japanese artist uh, from Japan, uh, Heavenese, and then now I'm getting ready to release another three records on the label as well. Well, we're we're coming to the end of the show, but is there anything I haven't asked that you'd like to add? Not at all. Okay. Well. To my audience, you've been listening to the Blake Radio Network Rainbow Soul. And as you can hear, our guest today was percussionist, singer, author, Sheila E. And thank you, Sheila, for coming on the show and sharing your life and upcoming events. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And we'll see everyone October 13th. We hope that you come out. You're going to have a fantastic time, I promise you. I hear that you will, that you light up the stage. So I'm looking forward to it. And for those that want to buy tickets, call the Lehman Center box office. Uh, I'll give you the number at 718-960-8833, or you can also go online at www.lehmancenter.org. And those that buy uh, VIP tickets, you can attend a 630 reception, and the tickets also give you the best seats in the house. So I want to thank my listening audience for making my topic topically yours. And I'm going to end the show with Sheila's song, Love Bizarre.
You've been listening to the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.